Welcome back to another episode of the Investikit podcast. And from time to time, as you know, it's not just your boy Arjun on the mic. I am joined by others who are here to share the love and share the research, share the insights, because I'm always keen to learn. And that's the thing with guests, the guest episodes, whilst I'd love to pretend to say it's for you, it's actually for me to learn. And as a result of you being here on these platforms and you being here tuning into the show, which I am very grateful for, you get to learn too. So I've actually got a repeat guest on and this guest has been super, super popular. His name's John and John is the Chief Revenue Officer. What a, what a cool title, by the way. Chief Revenue Officer at Domain. Domain, we all know. Uh, it's one of the two biggest names amongst the world of searching for real estate and property. And uh, it's very, very popular with its economics insights and the data that the team gives. Uh, we actually use some of the data from Domain as one of our data sources and the many that we have. So obviously our insights come directly from them. And uh, from Domain, John is a very respected professional. They're one of the most senior leaders there who has his finger on the pulse for all things property. Now, in this particular episode, we go into the report that John has from Domain on the rental market, how trends are moving across Australia, and with rents being such a hot topic, how they're booming and are likely to continue to boom, you'll be able to see how things are traveling from the recent report by Domain with regards to rents, prices, and so forth. So jump into the episode. John's back for another episode. And guess what? He won't be here for the last time either. He'll be here more and more ahead because many of you really enjoy his learnings and what he's here to say, the insights he has. So we'll be getting John on again, no doubt. So tune in and check out John. John, it's a household favorite thing for you now. Property Nerds, the Investigate podcast, <laughs> all across Australia. We're, we're, we're loving you, mate, having you on. And, and many of our audience are saying much the same as well from the questions we get afterwards, the, the kind words we get afterwards. So just wanted to firstly say thank you again for jumping on with us. It's an honor to be involved with you guys, Arjun. And uh, again, very, very appreciative of what you do for the community at large, uh, particularly investors. It's a wonderful service you provide. Well, I'm confident that with your help, we're going to be crossing 400,000 plus downloads soon across our podcast network. So Man, it's getting well exciting. And I guess with today's episode, the rental market is the hot topic. And uh, yeah. yourself and the team at Domain have really come up with a great report on the rental market and the conditions. And it doesn't take, I guess, anyone to really special to tell us that the rental market's having some problems here. But at the same time, it's still continuing and there are some changes being seen too. Let's start high level with really what you picked up in the report alongside the domain team and um, yeah, some of the core standouts that you saw. Yeah, I guess the key message is rents continue to be a problem. There are just not enough supply of rental property uh, for the number of people already in Australia, let alone all the people trying to come in because they love this country and they want to be here. Uh, the vacancy rate uh, was maybe going to get above 1%, but it's back down again. It's to 0.8%. Uh, wow. Obviously, rentals continue to increase. Uh, every quarter, they get higher and higher. And year on year, you know, we're up 13%, you know, in the combined capitals and 6% in the combined regionals. And so that, in lot. fact, your rental report pointed out over 3% of gains just in the recent quarter, which means we're on track for an annualized double-digit gain again. Yep, yep. And, uh, you know, it doesn't show any signs of slowing down because the supply is the supply-demand uh, mismatch. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. So it's, it's, a, it's a national challenge. And I'm the one silver lining is that I think we at Domain feel this is getting a lot of good national attention now. 
it's not a secret. People aren't saying, no, there's no problem. Don't worry about it. Everyone realizes the problem and there's a lot of political pressure to do things about it. That's a good thing. I don't think we've found the right answer yet, but people are motivated, heavily motivated to get there. Absolutely. It starts with the conversation. So a big shout out to your team for helping put this out to the the major parts of Australia to be able to see like, hey, this is what's happening. This is the data we have and what we're seeing. And this, as you said, starts the conversation. Even on the, on the conversation point, I'm seeing a lot more local governments start talking about just some innovations to how they can use granny flats or different things. Even yeah, the little right. moves all add up to some impact. Obviously not big dial shifters, but it's the conversation you talk about that's starting it. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about, uh, you know, capitalist democracies is attention typically precedes action. Mm. So that's the good thing right now. Everyone's asked the question, okay, how can we make it easier to buy and rent? And that's a good question, right? And the more those questions get asked, the more that political candidates at the local, state and national levels feel the pressure to have a game-changing set of policies. And not all those will agree with, but it definitely moves in the right direction. Now, in your report, you talk about the gains of supply that are needed to start shifting the balance of of the rental vacancy. Obviously, we're below 1% now, and that balanced mark can often be seen at sort of 2% plus, 2 to 3% for some analysts. What's the sort of additional stock that really Australia needs to be able to bring this to light and start making that more of a balanced scenario? Yeah, the, the problem is it's about 70,000 more. Wow. wow. Right, 70,000 more rentals to balance out the rental market. And that's just to give you an idea, that's that's the size of Newcastle. Uh, you know, so we're, we're, we're a long way from that. Even though there are rentals out there, it's not enough. Yeah, this is, this is huge. This isn't not, it's not going to be an easy fix, John. It's, a, <laughs> it's definitely a big, big hump to get over. And obviously with migration coming in, how have you started to see the dynamics of not only the supply factors, but the demand factors coming in? What is the team at Domain seeing from all of the demand impact? You know, we don't see demand slowing down. Actually, we don't see demand slowing down. Uh, this is the place where everyone wants to be. And that's everyone from students who are starting up their life. You know, think about how many international students want to, want to live here and study here. We have eight out of the top 100 universities in the whole world, according to a recent time survey. Seven or eight out of the whole. The only countries that had more was UK, who had eight, and then the US had about 50. But we have the third most, despite our, our, our tiny population relative to America, relative to the UK, relative to all the other countries, so many countries of the world. So we have great universities and great universities that people know are internationally friendly. You know, which have great communities, great weather, places to be at. So you've got people at the start of their career, the start of their life want to come in here. But you might have seen the flip side, another survey where they, they looked at the migration population, the migration movements of millionaires. And they actually found that Australia is the place that most millionaires, sorry, that the most number of millionaires want to move to in the whole mm. world. And that's, you know, it was, it was like 10, 15,000 millionaires had moved here. And that is not in relative terms, like millionaires per capita. That's just millionaires full stop. More millionaires want to come here than to go to America, than to go to England, than to go to wherever, right? Because we're just such a great place to be. So it's amazing. I mean, we're so lucky, you know, to be in this country. But it just means that this is not slowing down unless we, you know, do unnatural things to slow it down. People are going to want to come in and they're going to want to buy and rent. You, you make me feel very grateful, John, uh, for what's being seen there. Because I remember moving from Australia, New Zealand to Australia back in 2010, and uh, I was obviously moving with dad on this side of the world, mum on that yeah, yeah. side and trying to come over, start life here. And uh, just now, like thinking back to the whole sort of decade of experience, the best coffee, the best <laughs> beaches, you know, the best coffee, the best beaches, the, the weather's amazing, as you said. The people here are just honestly the most warm, kind-hearted people. Um, the conversations you have, the melting pot, even recent data came out of, 
I guess, the census, just how much people are actually not born in Australia that are here now. There is such a shift, or at least their parents as well, not born in Australia. Um, they, were, they were born overseas. Like, this is truly the world's melting pot, even though we're very far from the rest of the world. It's obviously a very motivating place to be able to fly, you know, 10 hours plus from other parts of the world <laughs> to come here. So no doubt on the demand piece. And on that demand piece, there's a few cities that seem to stand out in your reports. Uh, could you shout out a few of the cities that are seeing some really, uh, I guess, high gains in the rental space? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll start with Sydney. Sydney's up, you know, 11% year on year and 3% quarter on quarter. And again, in any normal year, they'd be like, oh my goodness, that is insane. Right? Double digit growth in, you know, in, in, in the most expensive city. But, you know, what's even bigger is Melbourne. Melbourne's up 17% year on year. Extraordinary. And Melbourne is not like, it's not like a small city. <laughs> it's giant. It's the biggest city we have, even bigger than Sydney Metro. You know, so that's up 17%. But Perth wins the year on year battle for this one, 20% year on year. So just massive increases. And again, it's that combination of people all want to live in those places, particularly the capital cities. They're seeing a lot of influx. People coming to the country and going to Sydney, Melbourne, and then many of them leaving Sydney, Melbourne, and going to Perth, Gold Coast, Brisbane, and there are places like that. And the level of building, the level of investor rentals are not really keeping up with that level of demand. Yeah, and I think uh, one thing that many investors who are tuning into this may want to start thinking about is not just this year, not last year, but what the impacts of this will be three to five years down the track. And I took a step back on some data, John, because this was actually me reflecting on your data that you shared here. It was also yeah. me reflecting on some of our data and putting the pieces together. Melbourne and Sydney are, are largely known for their low rental yields. However, a combination of the last year's price sort of pause slash decline, this year's price increases have only just made up last year's declines. Yeah. So it means all these rental gains are actually increasing yield on relative terms. Right. And one thing that many people forget about is that Sydney's 10-year history of rents, if you exclude last year's double-digit gains, it's only about a 3 to 5% average on a per annum basis. So it's quite weak, which actually means we've actually got to catch up. It had a weak last 10 years, which is weird because I know we're in a crisis and we, we shouldn't be thinking of it's got to happen. But the truth is, based on long-term averages and how weak the rental performance was between 2012 and 2021, we actually have to catch up. And that means as interest rates eventually come down, as rents continue to sky up, as yields recover, do not be surprised if in two to four years, the word positive cash flow in Sydney and Melbourne arrives back again, because that hasn't <laughs> been heard for a long time. Right, John? That's the clear investor mind coming to play now. What are your <laughs> thoughts on these dynamics? I don't know. I, I, I think I, I probably, there's a part of me that agrees with that. There's a part of me that disagrees with that. So let me break it down. It is true that if you look at property cycles, whether it's capital gains or rental gains or yields, they tend to move in smooth linear lines. You know, look back 100 years. If you have a house, you're consistently getting 6% year on year. Again, some years you're getting 20% up. Some years you might get 10% down. But you see that smooth, that consistent line when you're willing to wait five years, five years, 10 years. You see it, particularly if you're buying good property. You see it in rentals. Uh, you see these things. They're kind of very predictable parts of land. And so that's why I do love Sydney and Melbourne in particular, because you have places where land and buildings is scarce. It's hard to come by. There's always a huge amount of people who come in. And so where there's a dip, like what you talk about, you do typically see over time that catch up overplay. And we'll see that in other areas as well. Tasmania, you know, for example, has gone through one of the biggest challenges of the last few years when it comes to house prices. You're seeing them catch up first, you know, uh, and, and similarly with rents, you know, in Melbourne, which were depressed and now are catching up more quickly. 
that's kind of the one part where I, I definitely agree with you. You know, I am not that bullish on positive cash flow in great cities. I'll say it again. I'm not that bullish about it. And a lot of my, my background in, in investing is particularly in, a, in America and in Silicon Valley. In Silicon Valley, very similar dynamics to City Melbourne. There is almost no residential property where you can get positive cash flow, mm. particularly once you take into account tax. It's just not going to happen, right? Because the prices are now so expensive relative to affordability. If you want to go to those places, you're playing a different game. And that game is that capital gains game. You know, again, you've got to, you've got to pick great property, but you're, you're going for capital gains, and then you're trying to survive cash flow neutrality at best and, and, and likely cash flow negativity for a while in exchange for that. And so if I was to advise someone coming to Sydney and Melbourne, there is always the chance that we're describing might happen, particularly in some of these hot areas like the hills or when you go out west. Like these are places professionals are moving into. They're cashed up. It's relatively cheap compared to Sydney. You might see those positive cash flow things come back into play. I just wouldn't have people bank on it. I'd have them bank on, you know, you're going to lose money cash on cash year on year, you know, uh, in, in Sydney. But one day you, when you sell that thing or when you exchange it or things like that, you're really going to thank yourself with, with multiple double digit gains. That'd be my pitch. Yeah, I think the key here is that the cash flow won't arrange, won't come up at the time of buy. It'll come up through the, the, the loan that you have staying the same, the rents sure. increasing over time as they are now. And then the interest rates eventually finding a soft spot. And so that's that where right. I think this next year or two provides an interesting opportunity for those thinking of these major markets. But uh, when it comes yeah. to the, this report, there was obviously the strength that we saw on the rents and the vacancy rates being quite low. Was there any sort of markets that you noticed, hey, these aren't the strongest. Their vacancy rates are trending up or, or actually not going in the right direction. And I think you touched on one of them in Tasmania. Yeah. You know, Vacancy is challenging. You're not really seeing the vacancy rates go up, you know, meaningfully anywhere. You're seeing this kind of month on month, quarter on quarter noise. Certainly, Tasmania is unique in the sense that it's only Tasmania and Canberra that have seen their rents go down year on year. For Hobart, uh, it's uh, it's down two percent, and for Canberra, it's down four percent, and that is unusual. And I think it's it's two different, very different stories. For Canberra, Canberra really is a picture of stability for me. It's a place that has very, you know, a lot of people are in long-term employment, uh, you know, well, you know, with, with the government. They've uh, got some beautiful homes there, beautiful apartments. There isn't generally tons of migration in and out. Some people are there temporarily, uh, but, you know, a lot of long-standing families there, you know, who, who love their work and who love, love that place to live and are kind of set there. We have a, a really awesome team there with Domain with the All Homes team. And so for me, when I look at those rents coming down, I probably see as a reflection of, hey, you know, that was really kind of booming uh, in previous years. Uh, you still see that, that, that linear curve going up uh, year on year. It's going to be fine. I think with Hobart, it's a bit more reflection uh, of some of the challenges they've had you know, in recent times, which related to their house price as well. It has moved uh, in a very different way uh, to the rest of Australia. And I think Tasmania is, is its own micro market for house prices and rentals. I do think Hobart in particular remains a good place and maybe a great place to invest if you think it's, it's at the bottom and it's going to go up. It's still a great place to work. It's got tourism. It's got education. Uh, it will always have a center. It will always have political pressure, you know, in order to provide good jobs there, given it holds so many Senate votes uh, there. So I, I feel very bullish at the long-term prospects. With Hobart, though, there is that kind of short-term depression, uh, and you're seeing that, you know, uh, cascade into house prices uh, and rental yields as well. Now, on the um, rental yields topic, we are seeing that huge acceleration in yields in Melbourne now with your report pointing out that the rental yields for houses in Melbourne moved up 13.3%, uh, now up to 3.32. And you talked about Canberra down 0 
And now we're also seeing the regional sort of stabilize on their rental yields. Is there anything here that surprised you when you were looking at some of the yields across these cities in the reports? You know, Arjun, as an investor, I tend to not look too much in short-term movements in yields. And I'll talk to the report itself. I'm just giving my own caveat. Because those yields tend to be cyclical, they tend to be volatile. Uh, I am looking at these fundamental things of, look, am I here to make a yield or am I here to make capital gains? And I put it into one of those two buckets. And as, you know, as an investor, as those goes, sometimes that yield will be up, sometimes you'll be down. But generally, I put it into one of those two buckets and I stick with that strategy. I think just to talk about these things here, some of the results here are a little funky for me. So some of them basically correlate with the rental prices. So Melbourne's rents up 20%. They also have the highest, uh, well, Melbourne's rental prices are up by 17%. Uh, their yields are up by 13%. Sydney's prices are up for rents 10%, their yields are up 9%. So you see this general correlation effectively, right? Uh, and so Adelaide is the only one that kind of was very, very surprising to me because Adelaide has had supply problems both on the houses for sale and for rentals. Uh, you know, their rents have gone up by 12% year on year, uh, which is you know, quite quite significant and, and pretty, pretty close to the national average uh, for capitals. But their yields actually went down by 1.3%. And to me, that was a bit... You know, when I looked at that, I said, okay, is there something particularly strange about Adelaide or this more kind of a short-term blip? And for me, this is more of a short-term blip. You have a relatively small amount of supply there. And so movements, sudden movements in supply or sudden movements in demand can give you these monthly shocks. And that's fine. You'll see that in a quarterly rent report. You won't see that in a yearly one. Yeah. And I think with Adelaide as well, because the price growth was still pretty strong from a housing for sale, right. that also made the yields balance out a bit because I think the prices kept up with that double-digit rent growth because of the price growth being quite healthy. So that was perhaps another thing that contributed to that. Now, on this particular report, as you start to look at what the rest of the calendar year holds, is it fair to say that we're looking at just continual strong rental gains to finish this year and potentially even into next year? I would probably say largely yes. So we don't issue a rental forecast. We issue a house price forecast. We thought house prices would go up by 6 to 9% over the course of this financial year, and we're basically on track for that. I think a lot of forecasters have come out and either verified that or slightly increased it. We don't attempt to do a rental uh, yield, or, sorry, rental, a rental price prediction, uh, but I think largely, if you just look at the fundamentals, we think that supply will continue to be constrained, and we think the demand will continue to grow, and therefore we think rents, even if they don't increase at the, you know, huge rates they're increasing now, will likely continue to increase low single digits over the course of the next year, uh, quarter by quarter. I'll give you one caveat, though, to that. Uh, there is a lot of potential macroeconomic shocks, and I'll give you two that I'm particularly worried about. One is we obviously have this, this escalation in conflict uh, you know, around Israel and, 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 and Gaza. You know, it's really, really tragic. It's, 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 there's both uh, you know, tragedies on the humanitarian side, and obviously you know, there are atrocities committed against Israel as well. It is not clear how that affects the world. It's not clear. Almost like the Ukraine war, almost like COVID. Something small that happened in a part of China ended up impacting the entire world for years. And we're still reeling from that in good ways and in bad. And I think it's not clear how that happens. If that crisis escalates and you get re, you know, contagion in the region and other countries are brought in, there's some real issues. That could cause a global recession. Or if you think about how people choose to buy, invest, or rent, that could cause people to just freeze up and go, oh, I'm not going to buy a new house. I'm not going to move house. I'm not going to get a rental. I'm not going to migrate to Australia. I'm not going to do my international studies because that's uncertainty. So that's kind of one macro factor, which who knows what it's like. It's like trying to predict the impact of Israel's 9-11. We have no idea what that might look like. 
That's one aspect. Another aspect is inflation. Inflation is proving very hard to tame. And I think we thought it was out of control. And then it came down a lot more in the US. It went from 9% to 3%. In Australia, by similar amounts within the course of nine months, we were like, wow, we got this soft landing, all good. And now it's proven a bit sticky, right? It's like, oh, okay, like it's not coming down. It's actually crept up the last two or three months. And there are some things like oil prices, particularly what's happening in Israel, like those and the Middle East, those may creep up again. You know, so there's all these factors where, like, we don't know what it is. If the Reserve Bank puts their prices up again, puts their, their rates up again, uh, you know, that could have either effect. It could have the result of putting interest rates up, you know, potentially freezing out the market. That is actually catalyst for rents to come down, you know, if people stop renting or stop moving. You know, or it could actually cause uh, people to, to get really afraid to put, their, to put their prices up, to less supply to come to the market. It's just so hard to predict what might happen. There's always, uh, always something going on, always something you know, to keep on. And I think with these uh, macro factors, uh, it reminds me of a saying where you, know, you, can, you can only control what you can, you can control, right, on your investing journey. And, and this is where using the macro is good to be educated, good to be informed. But how you now take that information and go down to the micro decisions as an investor is using information like your report provided, really going through the, yeah. the insights of the micro rental markets. So, John, this has been a great deep dive onto the rental markets. Is there anything you'd like to add around what's on the horizon and what continues to come up at Domain? You put out some great work with some of this research and it helps us all in the investing community, both professionals and uh, mum and dad investors. Uh, what else is ahead that we should be excited about? <laughs> There's a lot of things uh, that are coming up that we're, that we're watching. Uh, we're very interested to see uh, how this spring goes. Spring, uh, for those, those of you, that many of your listeners will know, but it's the biggest time of the year when people buy and sell, right? Uh, it, it's a time where people come out of the winter, they want to get settled before the year, and so October and November are giant months. And what we've seen is there have been some real uh, forces of activity, particularly in Sydney and Melbourne, uh, during this time where a lot of people come to market. Uh, we're seeing very good uh, auction clearance rates above 70%. We're seeing supply that's near average levels, but it's about 15, 20% higher uh, than previous years or than last year, I would say. And those are pretty healthy markets. We've got more supply coming in, but clearance rates staying high. You've got a good buyer-seller match. And as a result, you're seeing house prices get back to near record highs. And so I think that's one area it's like, okay, cool. We're returning to normality. Things are good. But you also have this two-track where places like Brisbane and Perth, where actually volume is, is really suppressed, mm. right? where people are not confident. And you're seeing these really you know, whipsaw uh, clearance rates, where sometimes you have all these people coming in, and when there's a good property, everyone's buying it. Other times you have clearance rates of 40%, 50%. So these are more uncertain times. I think the positive reading is they're just three to six months behind Sydney and Melbourne, but who knows? Yeah. And so for us, yeah, go for it, Arjun. Well, you, you raise a really good point about those swings. And it just made me think of something like the whole uh, comparable analysis has been so tough in these last month and a bit uh, because you've just got such different conditions. Even in our team from analyzing properties in Brisbane, we're seeing one property with like 40 people go through and another property in the same suburb with 20. And the houses <laughs> look much the same, but something about Easy. the campaigns, the swings, the timing some weeks stocks come up, then as you said, other weeks stocks are really dire and, and slow. So we are noticing this like last sort of three to four weeks, comparable analysis has never been tougher. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's challenging, which is makes the role of, of yourselves as buyers agents so much more important. Yeah. <laughs> well, John, thank you so much, mate, for attending today. Uh, for everyone tuning in, Domain's new and recent rent report each quarter, you'll see these reports come out, uh, really giving you an insight of what's happening in the rental market. Uh, John, where can people jump on just to grab a copy of this or check this out? Yep, domain.com.au slash research. 
uh, or look me up on LinkedIn, John Fung, F-O-O-N-G. Uh, I'm obviously connected with Arjun. I'm happy to connect you as well. Thanks again to your listeners for researching and helping, move, helping build uh, our industry and this market. Thank you, John. Appreciate it, mate.